Children, where are all the children? If you're a child, raise your hand. I'm glad Mike raised his hand. So, children, off to Sunday school. Um, if you are sitting in chair land, can't really call it pew land anymore, you need to fill out the welcome card. And how many people have checked out the new website? Okay, good, good, good. So for those of you who have not checked it out, yes, gracecf.us. That's the site. So go check it out. Um, it's our way to communicate to all of you what's going on in church, what's coming up, all that type of stuff. So check it out. All right. Um, so now, this is also the time in our service where we receive our tithes and offerings. And I was trying to come up with something to, to say about tithes and offerings this week. And what that led me to was to just sit back and kind of ponder God and think about God. I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but if you ever sit back and really just meditate on who God is, how big he is, how, how mighty he is, it's, uh, it makes you feel very small. And along this, this process of pondering God and thinking about God, you understand, or you begin to understand how much he's worthy of, or at least a fraction of how much he's worthy of. And the next step you understand is that my best does not satisfy what God is worthy of. And I'm thankful that God does not require me to give him what he's worthy of. He actually requires a lot less of me. So when, during this process of thinking about how great God is, how awesome he is, how much he's worthy of, and how much I can actually offer him, I'm thankful that he asks so little of me. And part of what he asks of me as an act of worship of him is that I give them 10% of what I make. And sometimes that can seem like a lot. But in the proper perspective, it might seem like nothing. So with that, I'd like to pray for our tithes and offerings. Father, we, I thank you for this morning to be here with my friends, God, and uh, we lift up the children. Lord, that you'd open their hearts and minds to your word and, and what you have for them this morning, God. And God, I thank you that you give me specific instructions on how to please you. And I thank you that that is far less than what you're worthy of. But yet still very much within my ability to do. And God, we lift up these, these tithes and these offerings as we offer them to you, God. And we thank you that this is one way that we can worship you and this is one way that we can please you. You're awesome. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Uh, we have another lady come up. I'm sorry, I don't. Jennifer. Jennifer will come up here now. I'm bad with names, too. So, um, My name is Jennifer Hall, and for those of you who didn't hear the announcement last week, um, I'm a member of the Gavin Home Group. And this Christmas, we are doing an Angel Tree Project project. Um, 
we are partnering with the Head Start program, which is more or less at 76th and Capitol. So um, serving these children who are at risk allows us to fulfill our mission of reaching our GCF neighborhood. Um, I'm happy to say that we've had a little over half the angels already picked up um, as of this morning, so just in one short week. We still have a a little over 20 kids. So those of you who can spare a little money, we have a $25 limit. So not a lot, but there are angels on the the tree in the back corner, and you can pick one. Their gift requests are on the back, so it makes it pretty easy. They're three- and four-year-olds, and um, so we hope that everyone will snatch up those angels this morning, and then you have till December the 8th to get the gifts back so that we can bless the kids in our community. I wasn't ready. I was texting my lovely bride who is homesick today, asking him, did we take our angel from the angel tree yet? So hold on, let me finish. I know. Well, it's important. I love the fact that it ties into our vision of our church. I think that is awesome. That is absolutely awesome. Who do you resemble? Who do you look like? A couple summers ago, I grew my beard out. I discovered it was white, and with all the weight I've gained, I've started to resemble Santa. (laughs) And that makes me sad. But, uh, you know, a lot of us... Actually, that's true with my laugh. I'm not far off, am I? Darn it. Anyway... Um, a lot of us look a little bit like our parents, right? Some of us look like one parent, not the other. Um, I have uh, an older brother and two older sisters, and uh, we look like we're all from different families. There's, if, if you met any one of us on the street and then ran into the other one right after, you'd never think, oh, they must be related. There's no way. We, um, all of us look, look radically different from each other. Um, I had the sad experience when I was growing up. My brother looked like a uh, teen idol. Um, and for those of you under the age of 46, you probably won't know who this is, um, but uh, Sean Cassidy. My brother looked just oh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. There's a couple older women going, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And um, it, was, it was sad for me because, you know, I would go places with my brother, and the girls that I was hoping would be looking at me would be looking at my brother because he looked like Sean Cassidy, and I don't even I don't even know what I looked like then, but you know my brother had the the long flowing hair and you know it was just uh, it was awful was what it was, and um, I in my family I look more like my dad than I do uh, I do my mother I I um, would prefer to look more like my father you know he has these broad manly shoulders which I didn't get and um, he has this very awesome deep voice which I didn't get. Um, but I did get his eyebrows and uh, the ability to do this. Yeah, I know. It's nice, isn't it? And, um, and I, uh, um, when he gets mad, one eyebrow goes up, the other one goes down, and he does this. Which I do, too. Because um, Colin did something once at the dinner table, and I... You know how I, most of you out there are either were avoiding becoming your parents or are avoiding becoming your parents. And um, those of us that have had kids, the metamorphosis is complete. We, ha- we are our parents. And when Colin did that thing at the dinner table and I did this, the transformation was complete and I became my dad. Um, 
but uh, you know, where we come from and, and who we're around when we're growing up has an influence, right? I get made fun of all the time when I leave the state because I say things like bubbler and uh, er no. You know, do you want to go to the movies or no? And the fact that we don't go to places, we go by places, right? We don't go to the store. We're going to go by the store on the way home. Do you want me to pick up some bread or no? You know, we don't go to our mom's house. We go by our mom's house. You know, we don't have a hundred. We have a hundred, right? We don't go up north. We go up north. We don't say bag. We say bag. It's a bag full of groceries. How many groceries are in there? About a hundred. And, uh, and so wherever, wherever I go, and sadly, wherever most of you go, you bring that with you, don't you? It's, it's a part of who you are. This is where we're, most of us were raised. This is how we talk. This is what we do. This is what we sound like. And when we go someplace new, it's kind of a shock, not only to the other people, but also to ourselves. Because you don't, I didn't realize how silly we sounded until Tommy Thompson became um, a cabinet member and he was on the national news. And all I could think was, do we all sound that stupid? Yes. Yes, we really do. <laughs> but that is who we are. And we are who we are is because of where we live and where we were raised. And so we go someplace else. We, we become a part of something else. Some of us belong to corporations that are national or international. And we interact with people. And you realize everything that you have with you, everything that you bring with you into a conversation, into whatever thing that you're doing, the same thing is true for us as believers, right? We all have things. We all grew up differently, and it didn't matter when we became a believer. We come into a, a, a body. We come into a church. We come into a congregation, a community of believers, and we bring all this stuff with us, don't we? Everything that we are, everything good or bad, everything comes with us. And when we come into Christ, there is nothing good, right? Because before Christ, there is nothing good. We come to Christ and we begin to change. We accept the gift of salvation and we start to become more like Christ and we begin to change. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the life uh, that you've given us, Lord, and the ability to, to get together and be a body, Lord, one unit, a, a group working together towards your goals. Lord, I, I just pray for a, a good time this morning. Help me to, to say the right words, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And by the way, Limerick texted me back. We did not take our angel yet. We will take one on the way out. So, and I will sign it. And I will sign it because Judy told me to. Um, so when we first come to Christ, he takes us as we are, right? We don't have to do anything special. When, when we realize who Jesus is and we want the gift of salvation, he doesn't make us get ready. He doesn't make us you know, change our clothes, get a haircut, shower, whatever. He takes us where we are at that moment and accepts us and adopts us into, into his family, warts and all. And we bring everything with us, you know. We, everything, everything that we are comes with us into the kingdom. In Romans 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when we enter into the kingdom of God, right, our goal is to become as much like Christ as we can. 
That's the whole point of, of being a Christian. A disciple of Christ is to, is to take those things that are ungodly and take those away, get rid of them, and become more and more godlike. And the only way that we do that is, is you know, it, or as we do that, it's a lifelong process. It's not something, it's not an instant change. It's not a, it's not a you know, all of a sudden, it's not a light switch, right? You know, I'm ungodly, I'm godly, I'm ungodly, I'm godly. That's not how it works. And some of us, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff to work through. There's a lot of things to get through. And uh, sometimes habits are really, really hard to beat. You know, uh, humans are naturally habitual. We do things when we do them. And we do things, and, you know, it's often, it's funny. You talk to somebody who goes, well, why, why do you do stuff like that? I don't know. I don't know. In, in my family, growing up as a fantry, the way we express our love to each other is we make fun of each other. If you ever came to a Christmas or a Thanksgiving, there's a lot of laughter at other people's expenses. You know, we're just looking for that one mistake, that one mistake. And we'll bring it up forever. When my sister graduated high school in 1980, 1981, my father had his new Weber grill, and he was trying to make hamburgers. What he made was hockey pucks, and he took them off the grill and put them on the plate that was styrofoam that they then melted through the styrofoam and fell all over our patio. We still talk about that because we were hungry. When we first got our microwave oven, my dad, my dad, if it hadn't been for the microwave oven, I would have starved to death growing up, okay? I, the only thing I know how to make is in a microwave oven. If you come to my house and I make you scrambled eggs, it's going to be in the microwave because that's the only way I know how to do it, and they're good. Stop making those faces at me. It is awesome in a microwave oven. If you haven't tried it, stop it. I will make them for you. They're good. My wife thinks they're disgusting. She won't eat them. Um, I think they're great. But anyway, microwaves were new back then. Back in the old days, when we first had microwaves, you know, they had directions, right? You don't put stuff that are, that are you know, you don't put aluminum in there. But, you know, my dad didn't know. So he had these little china things that he got from his mother that had gold gilt around the, the side. Oh, it was like the 4th of July in there. It was awesome. And then they tell you that you can put plastic in there and it won't melt it. But they didn't tell you that what plastic. And then so he was melting butter in there. So he had this big thing and he put the butter in and the cup and the butter melted at the same time and uh, we had that microwave for like 20 years um it was awesome but see we keep bringing that stuff up we love to talk about the butter cup incident with my father you know my my siblings love to make fun of me going to freshman year of high school i was four foot eight i was just over 80 pounds i had braces i had glasses that didn't fit me they were too small for my head when I got my braces on, I got headgear, not just regular headgear, helmet headgear. And I had to wear it around in high school for two months. I had hair that was really wiry and long, and it stuck out between the straps of the helmet headgear. It was a sight to behold. The only thing I was missing to make the look complete was the scoliosis brace, and I refused to participate in the test just to make sure I wouldn't get one. But that's how we identify as fantries. We love to laugh at one another. I don't think that's scriptural. <laughs> Frankly, I don't even think it's healthy. <laughs> but that's what we do. And it's a hard habit to break. In James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? 
Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Even after we come into the kingdom of God and get placed in a local, a local congregation of believers, you and I still cause problems because of everything that we drag with us into the kingdom of God. Because of our innate selfishness. Because none of us in this group today has become exactly Christ-like in everything that we do, there are going to be problems. There's going to be issues between us because we are selfish people, because we are covetous people, because we do things, and frankly, because we do things out of habit that we haven't broken yet. In uh, 1 John 2.15, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what, he has do- uh, of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. And we struggle with the same things in here that we do out of here, right? The problem is when we struggle, we cause damage. And it all comes down to pride and covetousness. You know, when we get angry, it's because we've, we've felt that somehow a right has been, has been violated, Right? When somebody cuts me off on the freeway, I'm angry because my, my, my right to safety has been invaded. When, <laughs> when the guy at the grocery store is taking too long to unload his cart, I get angry because my right to speed through the lines at Cole's Food Store has been violated. But really, that's what it comes down to, doesn't it? Whether it's an actual right or whether it's a perceived right, that's why we get angry. Something has been done to us that we perceive as being wrong. Something has, has crossed us, and we, and we feel angry. We're envious of other people, what they have, what we, you know, not even what they have, but maybe who they are, right? We've all had goals. We've all had things that we've wanted to achieve in life, and, and you've struggled really hard at it, but you're not there yet, and someone comes in, and you meet them, and they've everything that you were hoping to be at that age. And we get angry. We get upset. And obviously, that's not a godlike trait, and obviously, that's not our goals. When we get here, when we gather together, when we're, when we're in our home groups, when we gather here on Wednesdays and Sundays, but it happens. And again, in Romans, it says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. When we come to church, right, we're prepared. Right? We know we're going to see people. We know that we're going to interact with people, and these are the people we see on a regular basis. So we're ready. We know that the world is watching. We know that a guest may come through the door. So on initial blush, at first glance, you and I are ready. We look good. We sound good. We're on our guard. We're not going to do anything stupid. We're in church. I'm not going to do anything that's not godly because I'm, I'm thinking about it, and I'm ready. We're careful to guard our testimony. But it's kind of like cramming for an exam. 
if that's all we're doing, if that's the extent of our, of our change, of our, of our um, sanctification of being more Christ-like, eventually we're going to fail. Because you're going to be put into a situation where you do something out of habit. Because that's what you've practiced. That's what you've learned. And so even though we're really good at putting up a front on Sunday, and it's great that we don't want to offend people coming through the door, I think that's a great goal to not offend guests. But do you know that when you let your guard down, when you're outside of here and you're interacting with believers, do you know that people are watching? You know, we were talking this morning in our, in our Sunday school class, we have gotten some of the best Christian denominations out of fights and disagreements between Christians. We were talking about one denomination that came about because of, uh, um, because of the way they do communion. You get two separate denominations because of communion. Communion. Right? One side thought that when you have communion, it should be open to everyone, anyone who's a believer. But it's up to the individual to determine whether or not they are a believer and take part in communion. The other side of the argument there's a scripture that says that, that you are that you are to, to to when you take communion that you're supposed to think about it and realize and it's an important thing that not everybody should be participating and you, you really need to be careful. And so their thought was that only people who belong to the church, who are members of the church, should take communion because that way they could police it and honor God. That doesn't sound like a good reason to have two new denominations to me. They should have been able to work it out. When you and I are out there together, you know, some of us get together in public. Some of us get together in people's houses during the, during the week at our home groups. And sometimes we'll get into a moment. We'll get into a discussion. We'll get into something. And we forget who we are or what we're supposed to be. Again, back in Romans 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It begins in here, right? It starts here. It starts with your brain. And the word of the God, word of God is the beginning. It shows us who we are right now. And I think that's amazing. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with God. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how, how godly you are. There is always something new to learn about yourself. There is always something new, some inner part of you that has yet to see the light of God that needs to change. And since all of us are going through this lifelong change of becoming more Christ-like, that's true for all of us. So stop looking at your husband or your wife going, yeah, you got stuff to change. I do marriage counseling, by the way, if you want to make an appointment. It shows us our place. The word of God shows us our place in relation to God, in our relation to our brothers and sisters. It shows us our place in the kingdom of God. And it teaches us how to respond to situations. The word of God teaches us godly ways to react, to be, to exist, 
so that when these problems come up, we can respond in a way that is appropriate for Christians to do. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to that highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In order for us to do that, it requires an understanding of our place in the family of God. There is no one in this room who is worthless. No one. Regardless of how you feel about yourself, regardless about how you feel about the individuals around you, no one here is worthless. Equally as important... There is no one here that is worth more than anybody else. All of us are imperfect beings trying to become better at understanding who our God is and walking that out in our day-to-day lives. None of us have achieved perfection. None of us are perfect. And do you know what? You and I were put together for a purpose and for a reason, right? The, the, the Bible refers to it as being a part of the body of Christ, and we're a local body. Now, bodies can function. Bodies are an amazing thing, and they can function without parts. They can, not some parts, but other parts you can do without. You know, we need the heart. Kidneys are a good idea. You can do without your pinky. I could live without my eyes. But in an ideal world, all of those parts are there, and all of those parts are working together. So the same thing is true with us. We have things that we are to achieve as a group, as a church, as a body. And we can't do it unless all of us are, are, are together. We can't do it unless all the parts are there. That's why everybody has a place to be. Everybody has a, has a, has a part to play. And so without every part, we'll never be who we're supposed to be. So how can anything be worth more than something else? Unlike the world, we don't demand respect, we give it. Anybody who comes through that door is made in the image of God. Anyone. And that should be enough for us to give them respect. We need to see people as God sees them, not as we see them. Throwing off the old habits, putting new habits on. And in order for us to take those old habits and put them aside and pick up new habits, we have to take what we read in the Word of God and we have to put it into practice. It's not enough just to read it. It's not enough to just know it. It has to be useful. And you have to use it. The only way that you can break a bad habit is to replace it with a new one. <laughs> when, I, when I first came to Christ, I, 
I, and I was young. I mean, I was only 15 uh, when I first came to the Lord. And for those of you that just thought, wow, that's a long time ago, it is. Um, <laughs> it is. It is. It uh, is. Um, I've been a believer for, um, oh my goodness, 31 years come January. And um, when I first became a believer, I swore all the time for no reason. I, I mean, it was just, I, it, it, just every sentence had something in there that as a believer really didn't belong in my sentences, but they were there anyway. And the only way for me to break out of that was to replace it with different words until I could stop. And I, I, I took some words and replaced them with stupid words. I would say crud muffins. In fact, when I had my motorcycle accident, my, uh, that's what I said. I was going through an intersection. A van turned in front of me, and I was trying to decide, and it's amazing how quickly these things go, right? I'm entering an intersection going about 35 miles an hour. This turquoise Astro van, and yes, I actually could read the Chevy on the side of this minivan, turned in front of me, and I'm aiming right for the van. Now, I thought is, do I jump off the bike? Do I lay the bike down? Do I downshift and brake and try and let the van get through? I tried to downshift and brake, which didn't work, and I hit the back quarter panel. And as I was hitting the back quarter panel, I said, and for those of you that have worn a helmet, full-face helmet, it echoes in your helmet when you talk. I said, oh, crud muffins. And it was at that moment that I realized that that's a dumb thing to say. As I'm flying through the air, that just sounds stupid. I, well, yeah. But there are other things too, right? When you realize that you're not treating people with respect, what do you do? Do you just stop treating people? No. You have to go out of your way to treat them with respect. If you find that you're not naturally a nice person, you may never be naturally a nice person. But in order to treat people nicely, you just have to do it. And the great thing about Scripture is that Scripture is practical. Scripture teaches us, you know, not only, you know, what we're supposed to be, but he puts it in such a way that it's easy for us to walk out. It's easy for us to figure out what to do. Now, the actual doing part can be hard. In Matthew 5, verse 22 to 24, it says, But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anybody who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. And then in Matthew 18, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. If there's a conflict and you're involved, it is your responsibility to solve it. It doesn't matter if you caused the problem. 
It doesn't matter if you're aware of the problem. If it involves you, according to Scripture, you have to solve it. That is so cool. If you're off doing something and you realize, oh my goodness, I'm such a bonehead. I can't believe I did that. It's up to you to make it right. Or, man, Fantry is such a bonehead. I can't believe he did that. I need to go talk to him about that. The world doesn't operate that way, does it? And before we came to Christ, odds are you didn't operate that way either. I have, my father was an only child. I have no family on that side. I know no other fantries other than my siblings and my parents. My mom had had two sisters. Of those two sisters, I had six cousins. One aunt had one child, the other one had five. I, for the first time (laughs) in almost 20 years, talked to my aunt, the one that's still alive, because she finally got a Facebook account. I had no idea what the response was going to be, because I was never allowed to talk to my aunt, because my mother and my aunt were fighting. If at any time I would talk to the aunt, my mother would stop talking to me because I was taking sides. The worst part was my mother was not talking to this sister or that sister, and that sister wasn't talking to that sister or my mother, and this one wasn't talking to that one or that one. I just wanted to hang out with my aunts. This one who is dead... (laughs) I didn't get a chance to see her until two months before she died when she was in the final stages of Parkinson's. So I did get to say goodbye because one day she knew who I was. The next day at my uncle's funeral, she was sitting in the living room making an invisible pillow. But because my family were not believers, we did not have this understanding of what it took to handle conflict, and so we didn't. And there's a price to be paid for that. Within the body of Christ, you and I don't have the luxury of being selfish. Because scripture tells us what we need to do. It walks it out very clearly. If you have a conflict with someone else, solve it. If you did something to someone else, solve it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. In Proverbs 26, 20, it says, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. As believers, you and I are to build up, not tear down. And we understand there are times, if you, especially if you're in a leadership position, if you're in charge of a ministry, there may be a time where you need to point out something that's not going right. But that's not necessarily tearing someone down. That's imparting information to help make something or someone better. But you and I, instead of looking for the worst in our brothers and sisters in Christ, should be looking for the best and letting them know what that is. The world doesn't do that. Most companies don't do that. My company doesn't do that. 
your company does that, let me know when they're hiring because I'd like to leave mine. But we're not supposed to talk about each other behind each other's back, right? That kind of goes back to the whole thing. If you've got a problem with someone, you go to them and solve it. But when we do talk about someone, it's good things. Good things. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Being angry is not a sin. It's what you do with your anger that is either right or wrong. I have taken the class for concealed carry. I do not conceal carry because I do not have the self-control to not shoot people. If I was behind the wheel of my car, I would be in jail right now. It's, I, you know, I, know your limitations, if I may quote the great philosopher. Why did I just forget his name? Clint Eastwood, thank you. A man's got to know his limitations. That's my Clint Eastwood. I'll do putty for you later if you want to after, uh, after service. But it's what you do with your anger that makes it right or wrong. Anger in and of itself, not right or wrong. My wife and I have a rule. We do not, we take this do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, literally. That's what we do. That's how we solved it. There may be a time, <laughs> all right, let's be honest. There have been times <laughs> where I may be asleep and I will be awoken. <laughs> we need to talk because it's important. There have been times where, and I will be honest with you, there are not many. There have been a few times in my 20 years of marriage where we have stayed up late and we have got it solved. And not just because it's like 4 o'clock in the morning. It's like, all right, fine, you're right. You're right, let's just go to bed. We actually solve it. We work it out. Because it's important to not let that anger sit there and to fester and to become something worse and more and licky. And the same thing is true between you and other believers. Don't let it just sit there. But there's all sorts of things that the scripture teaches us to make us better, to take off old habits and to put on new ones, how to treat our children. Scripture says not to exasperate our children. It's fun to exasperate your children. I have one. I've done it. I've repented. But in the moment, it's a good time. But you don't want to make a habit of it, do you? You don't want to frustrate your children. How to treat your wife or your husband. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Taking off the old habits, putting on new how many marriages have you seen that have failed because they didn't know? Or worse, believers whose marriages have failed because one of them or both of them didn't understand either to, to, to replace what they were doing with love or to, to replace what they were doing with respect. Respecting those in authority. You know, the ministries that you're a part of, who's in charge of that ministry? Are you showing them the proper respect? People that you work with, are you showing your boss the proper respect? 
Scripture teaches us to pray for, for uh, those people in government that are in positions of authority. Our president, our mayor. It doesn't matter who's in the seat. It doesn't matter who's in the office. Our job is to pray for them. It doesn't matter if you agree with their politics. It doesn't mean if you, it doesn't say if you like them, do it. We're to do it because God knew that they were going to be in authority. It's God who's in control of who's in charge. And our role is to pray for them. Every time we take a step out of God's parameters, out of the way you and I are to live, we potentially drive a wedge between us. And you and I need to understand that none of us here are perfect. None of us have yet to uh, arrive at that X marks the spot where every interaction and everything that we do is going to be perfect amongst us. But we need to realize that and work through it because we have things to do. And with every wedge that you drive between your brother and sister in Christ is a potential wedge that you drive between you and your relationship to God. Because again, it all comes down to purpose, right? If you and I are to work together, we have goals to achieve. We have communities to reach. That is why we are here. And if there is a wedge between you and I, or if there is a wedge between you and you, then you can't participate fully in the purpose that God has for this body. And we can't be the body that God wants us to be. And anytime we're not walking in what God has for us, our relationship suffers, right? Some of you have friends. I'm assuming most of you have friends or have been a friend. Have you ever had a friend for a really, really long time? Like a best friend ever. Does that friend know exactly what buttons to push that really bother you? Do you know those buttons to push for that person? And if you're truly a good friend, you don't push those buttons, do you? Right? You don't push your friends to the edge because you respect them, you love them. You don't want to damage that relationship because let's be honest, Real friends are hard to come by. And so you don't want to ruin that friendship by doing the things that, that, that push them over the edge. <laughs> I, have been, I have been friends with Jim for 31 years. I know his buttons. <laughs> he was at Beth Messiah yesterday, and I said the exact same thing. And we kind of looked at each other, and he knows my buttons too. <laughs> there are things I won't do. To Jim. I just won't. And there are things that he just won't do to me. He just won't. I've been married for 20 years now. I'm pretty confident I know what makes Marie mad. She knows what makes me mad. Sure, there are times that you guys have conflict, but you never intentionally go out of your way to hurt your spouse, right? You never intentionally go out of your way to hurt your friends. Why would we intentionally go out of our way to hurt our God? You know, the hard part about dealing with people is we don't always understand what their buttons are, right? God wrote his down for us. <laughs> so we would know what those buttons were, those things that make him angry, those things that, that don't please him. We understand that it's not up to us for God to love us. He loves us because he loves us. 
it is up to us how much he is pleased with us. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and only, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And he gives us the ability to do that. We understand that our walk with God started here and we're going there. Time after time, moment by moment, the things that are not godly in us fall off. The things that are godly become a part of who we are. We take it, we mold it, we make it a part of our character. Time, moment by moment, action by action, replacing those old habits with new habits. And it's only by that that we stand out as God intended us to be. Both as a, as a, as a body of believers, but as an individual believer, taking that light we receive from God and shining it into a dark world. It's only then that you and I will be different. It's only then that you and I, as a group, as a body, as a congregation, can truly reach out and stand out as the congregation that he wants us to be and to achieve the things that he wants us to be. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you first and foremost that you are a forgiving God, that you love us and you take us where we are, and then you bring us to where you want us to be and that you show us and that you teach us. And while it's not always easy, Lord, we know that it's done with love. And we thank you for that. Lord, help us to become, help us to be, and help us to take your very practical word and turn it into practical action in our day-to-day lives. We thank you again for who you are and for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.